Great, so welcome to the Sooner Safer Happier podcast. And uh, in this podcast, we talk to people leading on better ways of working at large organisations. And I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Orson from HSBC. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, John. Great to have you here. Um, so, Chris, um, be great if you could introduce yourself. Um, let us know a bit about about you and uh, and your background and what you're doing. Cool. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, yes. Yeah, so as John said, my name is uh, Chris Orson, and I currently lead uh, ways of working or new ways of working for the security services business um, here at HSBC. Um, security services is basically part of markets and security services, so one of the big uh, pillars in the HSBC organisation. Um, I've been doing this role for probably, I lose track, I always say two years, but I've been saying two years for a number of years now, so it might be, might be longer than that, um, but it feels like a while. And, and I've been involved with sort of portfolio delivery um, in various ways, shapes and forms throughout my career. Um, I've been at HSBC for uh, 13 years, um, mainly in the uh, global banking and markets division, supporting operations and security services. And then this this opportunity to come and do um, so the ad or lead the agile transformation uh, sort of grew out of partly our response to the pandemic, um, but also a sort of a real business need um, to transform the organisation. Um, and then that sort of happened, as I say, sort of two or three years ago. Great. And and Chris, can you can you provide a bit more context in terms of HSBC and the organisation? Can you just um, say a bit more about the about HSBC? Well, as in as a, at a group level? Yeah. Well, I mean, so HSBC at a group obviously is, is one of uh, the world's largest financial services organisations. It has uh, hundreds of thousands of people um, working with it and it provides uh, a massive suite of products and services to our clients. It's a very complex beast and um, it operates across um, most countries I can think of <laughs> and certainly across um, all of the major time zones in the world as well. So, so running and leading in that space is is very difficult and um, it has a large legacy as well um, it's grown um, both organically and inorganically and um, so there are lots of different components of the business that need to stitch together um, and clients will often navigate across multiple different parts of that business as well so um, you throw all that into the mix uh, and it actually becomes it becomes quite a an interesting space to make sure runs efficiently and effectively and it's certainly one of the things that from an external point of view we, we get uh, looked at is our ability to deliver and execute. So deliver new products, new services, compete with our, our peers, but also to um, compete with new incoming um, sort of fintechs and other organisations that, that are coming into to that space as well. It's also highly, highly regulated. Um, so all of these things, um, as, as you have direct experience of, John, but it's, a, it, it's quite an interesting space, as I said, to be trying to do delivery execution um, and actually think about agile transformation as well and, and there's a lot of nervousness I think is probably the right word about risk and and that moving to more agile ways of working is perceived to introduce to the organization um, because we'd love to make sure that we've got and we need to make sure that we've got um, a compliant and, and sort of approved uh, process and method. We, we, we rely on our reputation and our reputation is built on safety and it's built on trust. Um, mm. So things are important. So, um, yeah, I mean, as, as a wider organisation, agile transformation, trying to fit into that mix um, is, is interesting. I think if you sort of dive down a little bit further into that as well, um, you see the, the individual context of the businesses as well. And there's always this balance between trying to find 
a consistent group approach to doing something versus what's actually needed in the individual business units because of the relationships they have with clients, the ways in which they're organized, the levels of technology and, and the services that they provide. So there's this constant um, um, sort of balancing act that needs to happen across across that. Um, and as I say, I've, I've grown up in one of those business units, albeit quite a big business unit. Um, and it's interesting when you talk to my peers across the other parts of the organization about their experiences um, and, and how we've got similar challenges, but we're solving them in maybe slightly different ways, which actually works. And it's getting comfortable with that is, is mm. the challenge. Yeah. So we're talking about a uh, hugely complex environment. We're talking about probably, you know, one of the world's largest companies, you know, probably yeah, up there in the top top five to 10, I imagine, um, with a high level of regulation and uh, absolutely critical infrastructure ways of working um so the stakes are high in this context um so why why change why 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 agile why better ways of working so i think different parts of the organization will probably have similar answers to that but they'll they'll approach as i said they'll maybe be approaching it a different way but fundamentally um the the environment is getting more competitive right um the particularly in the in the sort of the market space um, fee compression and the automation and the arrival of uh, new technology and fintech organizations into this into this environment all puts pressures and challenges um, into the into the organization and certainly from a security services point of view increased expectations from clients around how fast we can deliver complex solutions to them um, and also um, the the sort of the new features that they're demanding as part of that as well. So this this uh, move into the digital space and, and and how we use data and how we can be more sophisticated. So there's there's a there's an external demand on the organisation to improve, uh, and that improvement looks like more innovation. It looks like um, faster time to market. And it looks like um, sort of different commercials to the ones that we've we've had previously. So all of these are pressures on the organisation. Um, we've also got. Um, employee pressure as well so there's a there's a demand from with teams from within um, to be involved in more interesting things to be using new technologies um, and you can see that people are um, experimenting with where they want to be how they want to work so all of these things uh, come together into a big sort of pot and the organizational response to that has been to uh, sort of embrace agile transformation from a security services point of view, that was built around um, three specific outcomes. It was built around this need to improve business performance. So how do we effectively improve our, our cost income ratio? So how do we get more efficient at delivery, delivering and executing? Um, our business model is heavily dependent on um, large scale, often multi-year program deliveries to clients. So that's the bread and butter of, of our organization. So getting better and more efficient at doing that. Improving our client satisfaction, as I said, what that really looks like is is um, efficiency of delivery, uh, but also sort of cost efficiency as well from a client perspective and new features and, uh, and innovation and thought leadership in that space, but also employee engagement as well. So how do we connect our employees to our clients better um, in a world where we have increasing sort of um, federation of functions to different parts of the world? Um, it's quite easy for our uh, our teams to get completely disconnected from what the business is there to do 
Uh, and I think we see that um, in build-up of, sort of local processes and all sorts of other things, which which probably pull us away from uh, ultimately delivering value to the client. So um, employee engagement, we work for a bank. What that means is what we service these clients when we deliver these products. Um, and it's great to be able to connect everyone together in that goal. So that they're the drivers. In, great. And in in my language, what I'm hearing there is I'm hearing value and happier is what I'm hearing in terms of the language a better value sooner safer happier so cost income ratio business performance you know that's I imagine that's not only a case of reducing cost it's also a case of growing income Mm -hmm. i.e value uh, for which you need quality and you need to minimize time to value to realize that you're generating the most value and the cheapest cost of failure absolutely so I'm I'm seeing I'm seeing value I'm seeing better I'm seeing happier great to hear that client satisfaction and employee engagement in there. Um, that's yeah, really- I, you know they've been they've been bedrocks um, and actually our experience so far I'm sure we'll get onto that our experience so far is that um, actually the, the the successes that we see the tangible successes that we see um, are born out of and and sort of grow from the teams the employee you know the, the teams themselves it's not from central functions telling them what to do it's from teams understanding what their bottlenecks are and being empowered and able to go and fix them so employee engagement is the key that is so good to hear um and i think this is the big this i think this is the big mindset shift from you know all the way from the first industrial revolution in 1771 in derbyshire uh all the way through to now then this is the big this is the big pivot is what you just said um it's this empowered teams rather than people being given work to do in a gantt chart and a focus on output it's this pivot to empowered teams with a clear outcome to achieve and then being empowered to get on with it yeah yeah and and you know that's that is a really hard thing and as as you know right it's a really hard thing uh, everyone will nod in the room uh when we talk about that as being something we want to achieve um but we find it very difficult um, and we'll find every reason under the sun to to delay or stop or block. Um, and, you know, that's why the role is hard. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> yeah, that's why uh, it's it's difficult to achieve, particularly when you're talking about enterprises like this. Yeah. And I guess it's hard because we're talking about human behavior, aren't we? We are. And habits and having to unlearn and relearn. But But also, I think on that, it's. It's habits, but it's also previous environments. Don't my my view on this is that um, we've we've got leadership in play that have been successful through uh, behaving and working and leading in a particular way, and they've been incentivized and motivated to operate in that way. And we're coming in and we're challenging that now. And it, and it's it's a big leap of faith um, for leadership to say, actually, I'm going to potentially shift, uh, and it, it could be quite a seismic shift away from patterns that have got me where I've got to and, and been successful for me in the past uh, and I'm going to shift away and that's a leap of faith that the organization will recognize and reward and incentivize um, that shift and and we see that a lot um, it's it's people outside getting outside their comfort zone but being comfortable that that actually the future's bright if you go in this direction yeah and I, and I heard you use the word incentivize there an incentive and uh that really resonates for me. And increasingly, what I've been thinking about is that 
um, improving ways of working, how we do what we do, it all comes down to incentive. Hmm. It all comes down to incentive and in double-edged sword because you've got incentive and threat, two sides of the same coin. So it was great to hear you there, Chris, talk about people being incentivized in terms of new ways of behaving. Yeah. 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 And, and that, that looks like a number of different things, right? Um, you know, there's a, it's Dan Pink, isn't it, that talks about um, things that motivate people. And I think that's, we look at it very simplistically. We, we basically say, I pay you more, you, you do what I ask you to do, right? That's, that's one simplistic model of this. But actually, what we're seeing is that um, actually the very act of empowerment and actually the very act of being trusted to make a decision uh, and being given accountability, um, but also being given a platform to talk about that uh, and to share that experience is equally um, important as an incentive than pure hard cash, right? I mean, we can't get away from that, but at the same time, there are definitely other levers to pull in the incentivization stakes um, that 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 I think we've seen be really successful. And when we've taken away the stick, when we've taken away the target, and we've we've told people, you know, this is new data, this is information that you've got. What are you going to do with it? Um, we've actually seen some, you know, the best improvement. The, the best example I think I've got of that is when we looked at um, our lead time metrics. The easiest thing for us to do as an org would be to slap a target on that and say, right, we've now, you've, you've, I've got the data point. I want to see half of that, right? What that will then turn into is a constant, what are you doing? How, why are you, why are you not succeeding against this target? Um, what was interesting is, is that lead time metric grew up from within the teams and instead of senior leadership giving targets on it, um, all that happened was teams got given that data point and they got asked, go and improve. What can you do? What, what are you seeing from this information? Uh, and what we've seen is some staggering results, actually, from, from teams that have just been allowed to work in that way. Um, and it's really hard because now we're talking about scaling that. Um, the first thing we want to do is take that and start putting targets against it. So <laughs> we've got to based on what we've just learned well that team did 50 percent or 60 percent reduction therefore everyone must do 50 percent 60 percent um reduction so um these are the little traps that that crop up that that is a that is a real gem of wisdom that what you just shared um <laughs> I, I i really i really want to emphasize what you just shared and i hope that uh, you know uh, for anyone listening to this for people listening to this like this is a key takeaway what you just said um so just i'm just going to play back a bit what you said you know when it's internal motivation and there's no target you give people the data and you ask them what they can do to quote you back you said staggering results mm-hmm. you put a target on it so or, or if you or if it's a cash bonus type incentive um what i think i heard you say was that the results were not as impressive it's less as where, there's less buy-in i think and that's what it is less buy-in yeah yeah. and i've i've seen this as well where um with targets leading to some pretty poor behaviors and um and this is this is really resonating because at the moment i'm um both reading and listening to a book called punished by rewards by alfie Cohn. and punished by rewards i think it was originally published in in the mid 90s but there's been a 20 25th year um edition of it and i'm listening to it at the moment and all of the science shows that you can punish by rewards if you give people a gold star if you give people especially in financial services a bonus 
people do it people do something for the wrong reason Mm-hmm. with the extrinsic motivation of the reward they do it for the reward and generally they do it to a worse standard than if it's from intrinsic motivation so i think this is this is a really key learn like incentive and maximizing incentive and minimizing threat is important but how you maximize the incentive as you've just said chris is incredibly important where ideally it's an internal intrinsic incentive motivation yep. as opposed to do this for you know like a like a, a uh, like an animal in a lab, you know, uh, perform for tokens, press the lever, you'll get ten dollars, um, where you then don't get the great results. Uh, yeah, I, to- I and I think what what's what's been most um, eye opening is um, seeing that happen in real life, and actually that's the thing that gets the organisation to shift. We can put. Um, books and podcasts and audio books into leaders leaders laps and that they'll talk about um, this model or that model or these patterns and these theories and and they'll buy it but we'll always be different there'll always be a reason why um, you know this is this doesn't apply to us or that's not how it works in real life what's great now is that actually and I think where this is the reason we've, we've got some good traction in this space is that we've got real life worked examples of right we did this we got that um, so this connection between action and outcome is now much harder, harder, you know, it's easier to see. It's harder, harder, hardwired in. Um, so we can very quickly move out of theoretical conversation and into practical examples. Uh, and I think that's been enormously powerful and helpful um, for us. Yeah. So I guess that's generating social proof. Yeah, precisely. Social proof in your context. Um, so, Chris, um in terms of your top three learnings so far, so if you were if you were to share your top three learnings with other people for ways of working, what would they be? Um, good question. So I think I think the first one is clarity on your why. Um, we agility is not a goal. Agility is a, a thing that will help us achieve our goal. And it's the real business outcome, the thing that thing that we are trying to achieve. Um, having that is really important. Um, so that's my lesson number one. We've we've had too many. We've delayed that conversation for too long. So the, cl- the clarity of vision um, has has meant that we've spun our wheels for too long. Um, so my my first learning is that. I think the second one um, is a massive cliche, but I think culture does eat everything for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, I think if you if you're not able to instill the right culture into the organization then this isn't going to work you know agility is not a tick box i've done this i therefore i'm agile exercise the being versus doing conversation which is i you know it's a hot live debate everywhere and i think you know there's general agreement that that you want to be not to do uh, and and this this uh, sort of almost religious um tying ourselves to particular frameworks as the answer um you know those those are the things that we need to need to get through that culture piece um the last one, and it's something I've learned massively over the last two years, and I credit John actually for a large part of this. It's the value of the external network. Um, we are, you are not alone. I am not alone. We are not alone in this. And what's amazing is to come together and to listen and to learn and to share with people who are maybe in very different business units, business lines, organisations have very different outcomes or contexts that they're trying to achieve, but will have very similar challenges and. Um, I've kept my sanity, I think, um, by being able to plug into um, external networks. 
uh, and it's given me um, a release, right? It's helped me, this conversation, for example, and other conversations make me think about what we've done, what we've achieved and how I should explain it. Uh, and that helps me structure the story. Uh, and it's not until you go back and reflect on that, that you realise, A, what's been achieved um, and, and, and B, how, what an interesting story it can be. So that external network is immensely powerful. So I think those are the three. That's great. Thanks, Chris. So, um, so, so clarity on the why, focus on culture and the value of the external network. Um, and the value of the external network, Chris, is that both learning from others and sharing yourself as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. We have to be a contributor to that community, right? Um, we can't just leech off of other people. We need to be adding our value. Um, I think HSBC um, and, and the experiences that we've had um, can be interesting um, for other people. So uh, we, we need to contribute to that. And my aspiration for us, and interestingly enough, it wasn't until after I'd really started the role, I started to set an aspiration around, from an outcome point of view, around that engagement externally. Uh, and I said, I've got three things I want us to focus on. I want us to focus on bringing good thought leadership into the organisation so we can learn about what's what good looks like and what's happening out there. Um, I also want us to be on a stage telling our story and telling other people about what we've learned. Um, and I'd, I'd love for us to be seen as, um, you know, a, a thought leader in that space, right? Um, that would be great. And the last part, I think, is really about how do we use this... Um, build this reputation to create a sort of talent magnet for the organization, but also to be uh, seen with our clients as being an organization that is forward thinking and innovative and able to respond um, more nimbly to what's going on around. So I think you know, that was born, that whole view was born out of um, coming together and talking with um, people from other organizations. Up until then, agile transformation, I think, was very much seen as an internal cosplay. Right? We do this because we want to manage our our cost base and i think eyes have been opened yeah yeah I, th I think it's really powerful when organizations share at conferences um so for example the secon conference in london the devops enterprise summit conference in the us and the uk um the business agility institute conference which tends to run in new york um yeah this there is so much so much shared learning that's available mm -hmm. out there um and it and i think as you said chris it's it's you kind of you realize how much you've achieved when you actually you know when you're on the stage and you're giving a presentation you you because you, you're so immersed in all of the challenges and you know um trying to make progress and needing a thick skin and needing to be very resilient and then you, you then you you you're you have an opportunity to present your story on the stage and then that's when you realise how much you've achieved in the last six to 12 months. Precisely. And, and from our point of view, you know, we want to start dipping our toe in, in all those uh, setups that you described there are all areas of interest for us. So we start, we're yeah. tentatively getting there now. But um, I think there's another thing um, that, you know, there's beware of imposter syndrome, right? You know, there's, there's, a, there's a, a, a risk that you feel like you've got nothing to add because you're new to this game. Um, but actually, that's not true, right? You know, there's there's a lot everyone can add to this. Everyone's experience is valid, and no one stops learning, right? So if if we take that approach as we go into these environments, then I think you can have a really open, really open debate um, with it. Yeah. On your second one, your second uh, 
top three top three learnings is around culture. Culture eats everything for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So, can you can you talk a bit more on that one? Because this is this is a culture is a int- very interesting topic. And you know, can you create culture? Can you do you nurture culture? How do you change culture? Um, can you talk a bit more on that one? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really really hot topic, and it's it's an interesting debate we're having internally. And actually, at a, a recent um, meetup, I think some of these. Um, topics came out as well which was sort of the organizations um, our organization like many is, is has, has grown up over decades hundreds of years uh, and there's a an in, intrinsic way of operating that that is makes people successful it ties back into that point around you know how do you how do you change people who've been successful right how do you how do you get them to do something different um, and that's that drives behavior, right? So that drives things like we want to see these targets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it also drives behaviors like, um, you know, where we don't have, you know, the servant leadership culture, I think is another area where where we want to sort of focus on, right? It's it's a top-down hierarchical leadership and it's it's difficult to question up the chain, right? Um, the people have achieved leadership, layer, uh, achieved leadership roles, therefore they know right and it's their job to educate down uh, and that's that's not unique to hsbc that's a that's a feature of a, any large multinational type organization so that's that's what we're operating in um and things like um you know how we do scorecarding and how we chart success and how do we show how do we show progress um, and how do we make sure that the agile transformation isn't just another project that we are doing right you know how is you know what how do we make sure that that leaders embrace what they need to do differently as well as what um teams need to do um you know they're they're the sort of the top the headline topics there one of the things that we've um, been experimenting with uh, targets that very thing right so we've got a, a initiative called um business agility leadership coaching so the objective is for us to create um leader coaches um accredited leader coaches from our senior leadership network and it's been um, a very successful trial. It's not it's not big bang. It's not out there across everybody. It's targeted at the leadership layer in the organization. And the objective is to introduce coaching styles and coaching leadership to the way we lead our teams. Um, and it ties in beautifully, I think, with uh, some of the more practical things we want to do through Agile. So we, we effectively end up with um, sort of a two or three layer coaching framework where we've got leader coaches that are coaching around leadership, but we tie those into agile coaches who are, t- are coaching around um, tools and techniques and, and, and agile outcomes that we want to try and achieve. And then we tie those into sort of what we call them ecosystem managers, but they're roles that are embedded within teams um, that are, are there to sort of drive within a team. So they're headcount that's owned by that that particular team and they're coaching into the team. So we see those layers as being the way in which we want to sort of coach into the organization and it's having an impact uh, it is having an impact, but there are some real hard boulders around that culture, you know, so we still need to move away from uh, measuring inputs uh, or outputs and measuring outcomes. So, for example, agile progress scorecards measure things that we've done. Are you doing this thing, that thing, the other thing, right? If you are tick um, versus are we achieving our outcomes of what's our client satisfaction look like? What's our employee engagement look like? What's our business performance look like? Um, because the first things are easier to measure, 
than the second things. And also you get fast you get fast responses from them. Uh, the others are a bit more lagging in the way that they uh, the way they respond to the work that's being done. So, um, yeah, I think I think that's that's a comment on culture. I think, um, but it's 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 massively difficult. It it, it fundamentally I think comes down to um, for us sort of how how we've how successful people have been successful. Uh, that's that's the that's the core of it. Yeah, and I guess how people will be viewed to be successful going forwards. Yes. To your exactly. point around outcomes over output, um, and maximising outcomes, and then I wonder: is there anything? Is there anything you're aware of, or anything that's hap- that intentionally happening in terms of how senior leaders can be viewed to be successful? Is there anything changing there around behaviours, uh, like yeah, behaviours which are viewed to be successful behaviours? So in terms of incentive and threat, you know, you'll be incentivized if you exhibit more servant leadership, more psychological safety. Do you see anything happening there, Chris? So, um, yeah, I do. So I think from a from an exco point of view, um, I think there's a much stronger awareness and appreciation of those type of those type of attributes in our leadership. Right. Um, also, within HR, there is um, a much stronger appreciation of. How do we make sure that we build those those things into the way in which we formally assess and and how we we put the you know the formal frameworks out for how we do calibration and and those kinds of processes? So I think it's I think it's there, and I've, I'm I think I've seen it as connected as it's ever been. Um, I also we, we've got much more sort of social media style um, chat channels that are out there now than were when I started my career but they um you know seeing the the leadership and the exco regularly communicate on the topics of psychological safety I've just seen one this morning that's come out around the importance of uh, coaching style and how the exco are going to go through uh, a coaching uh, a leadership coaching exercise and they're going to try out some new practices around um, personal reflective practices etc so they they're embracing um this and they're doing it publicly um and I think they're really important um, you know, milestones, and they're really important way markers. It shows the organisation uh, and the rest of the organisation that, that the exco and the senior leadership are, are following in the same way uh, that they're asking everyone else to look at. So I have seen it, um, but it's all really new, right? So we need to see how this persists um, as we go as we go forward. Yeah, that's great. That's really that's that's great role modelling. Yeah, to, to be doing it like you know publicly, internally publicly, um, from the from the exco, from the executive committee. That's that's that itself is great leadership behaviour to be role mod- role modelling it and working out loud. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, no, nothing's perfect, but I think the the improvement and the the obvious improvement is great to see. Uh, we just yeah. capitalise on that and keep it keep yeah. It yeah, and to to add a re- add a reflection to this, I I I believe that this is so critical, you know, to have the, the 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 support from the most senior leadership team possible, is 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 important. It is essential. Um, grassroots hits hits a grass ceiling, um, and I quite often get asked this question, you know, around how do we make sure we have senior leadership support. Um, so it is critical. It's great that it's great that you've got this role modelling. It's great that you've got this coming from uh, from the from the executive committee. 
uh, a critical ingredient for success, I believe. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then and then a question on organizing for outcomes. So um, in terms of going from historically role-based silos and, you know, the first industrial revolution, division of labor, specialization and so on. Um, can you talk a bit, Chris, about what you're seeing change in terms of going from role-based silos with work passing, where the incentive is I've done my bit, mm-hmm. the, whole, the whole is on your side of the boat, um, instead to coming together as multidisciplinary teams aligned with shared, goal, shared goals. Can you just talk a bit about what, what you're yeah. doing and seeing on that? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, we, like many other organizations um, in this space, are highly functionalized. So if you looked at the services, products and services that we provide to our clients, and then you consider the number of specific functions that a, a piece of work has to travel through in order to be delivered back to the client, um, it, it's quite, well, there's a spaghetti bowl there, right? You've got um, an absolute um, myriad of accountabilities. You've got multiple stakeholders, strategies, budgets, all those things that are all getting in the way of getting that piece of value through. And what's interesting back to the culture thing is, of course, each of those functions will tell you that they're being successful in what they do um, and will incentivize and reward from within those functions. But the collective result of all of that is that we're not as efficient as we should be in getting those things to the client. And those functions grew up for all, all of the reasons that we know right and and a lot of it's to do with accountability risk accountability and making sure that we've got the right people um, accountable for the right risk within the organization they're really important things to make sure we, we don't lose but but we've been um, in security services and actually it's, it's not just in security services across the wider group now we've been moving towards value streams so pivoting almost 90 degrees um, into organizing or certainly operating not necessarily organizing yet but operating through the um the value chain rather than through the functional um model um that sort of started practically uh, about a year 18 months ago um and what that looked like for us was identifying the core functions so in our case that was looking at our product our product delivery our operations and our technology capabilities and saying right, those are the four functions that, that account for the vast majority of the, the value chain. So let's bring those together and let's start identifying um, how we can create shared objectives that operate down through those layers. So we created the four horsemen model. So we have a, a leadership team at the top of each of the value streams that's 25% shareholder in the business of whatever it is that the value, value stream is. And by and large, we've got um, a commercial outcome attached to that. We've got clients and we've got products and services that we provide externally against those. Um, And we've been using the last um, year or so to start bringing those teams together using things like the OKR frameworks and using sort of link portfolio management techniques to try and and sort of bring those teams into operating in a more front-to-back way. Now, it's been challenging. It's been challenging. Some teams have responded to that by basically having a set of OKRs for ops, a set of OKR for tech, a set of OKR for delivery, a set of OKR for product, putting them all in a spreadsheet and saying, look, there we are, there's our shared objectives. So we've got coaching that we're doing in that space to try and bring that that together. Um, and I think 
what's quite interesting as well is two things. First of all, the language is starting to change. So people are now talking about value streams without getting poked to use those words. Um, they're also naturally starting to think more front to back about problems, shared problems that we're trying to solve. So um, they're bringing colleagues from across the functional spectrum together to do that um, impromptly, right? So they're not, they're, so they're not being poked to do any of that. So that's, that's all happening. But also within the value chains, we're starting to see all value streams. We're starting to see um, some of the bottlenecks that we thought would exist materialize. Um, so multiple number ones driving too much whip in the system, right? That's a, that's a great example. Um, we've worked with teams on doing some analysis around um, flow metrics. So fl flow has been a big part of, of what we've implemented. And um, we've seen uh, that whip story materialize. And we've also seen what happens when we kill it. So we've we've done experiments with teams where we've taken the, we, we put a whip limit in, which is roughly half of what they were previously running at. And we've seen that result in 70 percent plus increase in the number of new feature deliveries that they've been doing. Um, and so we've seen data that attaches to uh, look when you get your when you get your prioritization sorted, actually, you get a faster flow of work um, through the system. Right. And actually, that's what you want. When we talk about efficiency, that's what we're talking about. So those kind of conversations are starting to happen naturally and organically within the organization. So I see that as being um, actually to also back to the culture question as well. I see that as being, um, you know, a, a success for us. But that's really where we've been focusing. So it's bringing the bringing the functions together that make up the value streams, trying to put a data layer onto that that gives them something that they can work with. So flow has been has been the the, the one that we've we've pivoted around. So looking at flow. Um, but as I say, also getting teams to come out and talk about what they've been doing as well. So we've put our teams into some of those conferences that you've talked about previously. So we've lifted them out. So it's not just just me and my ways of working gang going out and spreading the good word. It's teams that are actually doing the work going out and, and talking about what they've been up to. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's about, say about 18 months in. Um, 23 is going to be a big year because this is really where we start to operationalize more some of the lean portfolio management stuff. So we're going to start properly looking at QBRs um, and some of those kinds of things to help manage that flow of work. Love it. That's amazing. Um, I love the fact that you're visualizing the data you're making. This is so important. Visualize the data, make it available. Lots of organizations and teams are flying blind. Yeah. Without the data, without being able to see the system of work, without being able to see the whip and the lead time, the working yeah. progress lead time. So key learning, key takeaway there is visualize the system of work um, and ideally in, in as close to real time as possible so that you can see how much work is in progress. You can see the lead time. You can, as you said, you can, my takeaway there is that you're, you've actually got hard data where you've reduced work in progress and you've seen a 70% increase in, in, in valuativity, new value being delivered, um, which is very impressive. So um, it's as well, just on that, the, the other data point, falling off the desk, the other data point that goes alongside that actually was a two thirds reduction in defects as well. So the same, wow. the same thing happened, right? So our 70% increase in new feature work was partly because we killed the defects down as well so you see it's a brilliant graph because you see the green bit going like this and you see the defect bit go like this and it's highly highly responsive that happened within a month and i bet happiness went up as well i wish we'd measured that 
<laughs> in, in a way, but yeah, I mean, anecdotally, yes. And I'm sure it will. It, yeah, I imagine the team is happier uh, because they're seeing seeing the fruit of their labour more often. Quality has got better. Customers happier. Colleagues are happier. It's a virtuous circle, isn't it? Um, it is. I, th- I think the other takeaway, actually, sorry, as I was thinking about that as well, is that that was achieved without changing any of the technology infrastructure. And this is this is another really important thing. When we talk about agile transformation, it's not a tech only thing. Those results were achieved by looking at the, the fuzzy front end um, or, or the business process that sits in front of it. No new people, no new tech. We didn't increase the release cadence. We didn't play with any of that infrastructural stuff. That just shows the, I think, the responsiveness of um, the system to and how sensitive it is to what happens upstream um, in the business. So everyone's got a role to play. Yeah. And you you don't sit in technology, do you, Chris? No, I'm part of the COO. Yeah, yeah. Which is which is which is an important point, as you said. This is this is not a tech thing. This is a our business thing. Yeah. You know, where every company is a technology company. Um, it's it's our business, not the business and tech. Exactly. Um, so key takeaway there for me: visualizing the system of work, making it available for teams to see, not having targets, uh, teams taking ownership, uh, teams generating pride by being on the stage as well and sharing their story so as you said chris another takeaway there is it's not the you know the ways of working team it's no it's it's yeah like yeah you're there to support the teams and it's the teams doing all the good work exactly um so what's next so what do you looking forwards chris what do you what do you see on the horizon what do you see are your uh, next kind of big experiments to run so I think for, for, for security services, um, we now need to, we're going to hit a whole load of new anti-patterns, I'm sure, but we now need to um, scale, right? So we've seen results within um, a number of teams. Um, we now need to talk about how do we take that to the whole organization. Um, that's going to be a challenge um, because you, we're going to face the conversation around how do we make sure everyone's doing the same thing versus how do we make sure that we've given teams freedom to operate so that that's going to happen um, for for us as well we've got our shiny value streams we've rearranged all the deck chairs um, what we now need to do is get them operating um, and realizing those uh, those efficiencies that we think we can see um, and that's giving teams data to allow them to do that so I think the they kind of work in in together with each other but we've we've put a lot of groundwork in I think we've proved we've proved the model we sold the model, the model's been bought. Um, so now what we need to do is, is get it um, operating um, at scale. And, and, that, and that means not just security services, but that means the wider markets and security services business as well, because uh, the prize is significant, I think. Um, I'd like to see us being uh, more visible. I'd like people that are listening to this to see HSBC more out there. Um, and I'd like us to, to be um, seen as sort of a, drive a driving force behind this in the in the industry that we work in and that's all i think what we want to focus on for for 2023 awesome love it um i think that's a great that's a great goal that's a great aspiration that gives people purpose lights a fire in people um and it sounds like you're doing a great job in a in a very complex environment with lots of regulation uh, an old company with lots of people and lots of complexity 
Um, sounds like sounds like you're doing a fantastic job. It should so, be a great time of year to tell my boss that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chris's boss, Chris and team are doing a great job. Um, so. Thank you very much, Chris. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for sharing your insights. Um, I look forward to um, having another conversation in maybe six months, six months time. Um, see how you're doing on the scaling. Um, so, Chris, thank you very much. Thank you very much, John. Good to talk.